Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Dreary Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. It's powered by DeerCast. And this is episode number 288, which by my math, you just got 12 shows to go here before we hit the magical 300. Yeah, we still don't have anything special on board, but uh, you never know. Dancing <laughs> yeah, girls. Yeah, into it. Hey, now. Now we're talking. <laughs> For the audio show only. That's right. You're Tim Chelswick. Yeah, you're Matt Drury. We have a special guest. Tyler Schwartz. Tyler, welcome. Thank you for having me. Sorry you're here. <laughs> Normally we for don't you. talk like pinball talk. Like it's <laughs> kind of what we were doing there. But you're from the Conservation Federation of Missouri. Correct. And you and I have known each other for probably four or five years maybe. Yeah, used to be a good writer for us. Before <laughs> Drury took you away used from to. us. <laughs> I used to be a lot you're of still used to be a good writer for us. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Uh, I've got a couple uh, things on my plate now. Uh, so we, uh, last week, were down in Springfield, and Mark and Terry were honored with a uh, an award from um, the Conservation Heritage Foundation, correct? And you guys were also uh, honored with an award, uh, Lewis and Clark award so it was pretty cool and got to meet you guys and and kind of hear your story and i thought man it'd be fun to have you come in and kind of share what you guys are up to i know you know the podcast obviously we have listeners all over the country and 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 this is a very missouri centric um uh podcast but i think it it goes beyond that because you know you guys are uh, one of the key elements of of what i wanted to talk about today is your involvement with share the harvest here in missouri and you know, really across most of the states that I'm aware of, there are programs like that. So I'd like to dig into that a little bit and hear kind of some of the facts and figures because, you know, we've been donating Mark and Terry. I, I hate to think how many deer they have donated over the years, hundreds and hundreds of Why deer over the years. Well, it's a saying. So, oh. <laughs> so when in it, Rome, it, what's interesting is when we always talk about it, cause we do talk about it and promote it in the videos and Mark, you know, has a program up in Iowa that he uses as well. You never hear the end result. And what yeah. what that means exactly for people at home that might be you know going through tough times, especially in the last two or three years, we've seen. I'm sure you got some facts and data to back this up, but the need is there, and to see uh, hunters uh, providing food for people that uh, are struggling to put it on their tables. I mean, it's a big deal. So uh, I just thought it was it was very enlightening to hear some of the facts when you guys were giving your speech there at Springfield, and I thought our audience would uh, enjoy kind of get, getting into some of the weeds there. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, it, and our conservation history in Missouri is one that we're proud of, and we were honored to get that award alongside you guys last week because it's a culmination of a lot of work that's gone on for decades, and in Missouri, we do it right here, and we're certainly proud of that, and, and you heard that in my speech because the Missouri model of conservation is emulated across the nation because we're so lucky and blessed to have that one-eighth of 1% mm-hmm. sales tax that we have and also our dedicated sales tax for our parks and soils, so we have the resources to be able to sustain and enhance all the great things in Missouri that we have too. And one of those great programs is Share the Harvest. And we've also got a, another spinoff that, that I'm hoping to talk about too with our, our meat sticks program because you touched on it, Matt. There are so many food insecure people in Missouri, across the nation, the world, but some of those are your neighbors and you don't realize it. And so being able to have protein in their diet is such a huge thing and share the harvest is celebrating 30 years now and so it's a it's a great opportunity for hunters to help them such as yourselves that that can really give the meat right to your neighbor and and through our department of conservation and conservation federation missouri we've been able to enhance this program for many decades so it's a win-win-win truly so so let's get into like the actual process if someone is wanting to if, if, if a hunter is wanting to participate in the process this fall, how do they go about that? 
So the first step is identifying the processors that accept the deer meat. So we've got almost 100 processors across the state. And so you go to mdc.mo.gov and look for Share the Harvest and find a processor. Okay. Put in the county that you're hunting in, and it'll pop up a list of the processors. So that's the very first step. So on knowing ahead of time any deer hunters out there that want to find out where those processors are. So you, if you know you got to drive 30 minutes, 40 minutes, however long it is, identify those processors and always call ahead. We say, you know, we encourage any hunters to call ahead and make sure that the processors <laughs> yeah, taking the deer smart. and they're open. Mm -hmm. That's the problem usually is open. Like you might have to go the next day. <laughs> you know, if you hit, hit your deer in the afternoon, you know, the final 30 minutes of, of light, you know, and mm -hmm. then maybe it's a couple hours until you recover them. It's, it's going to be late you know, a lot of times. And so um, that's a whole element of it that you have to plan for ahead and make sure that you have a plan to put in place or you got ice it down. Do you have a cooler to take it to? Do you, what are you going to do if you are donate? Cause that's the thing. It's like, you know, I've seen some deer when we go to donate ours and we treat them like we're going to eat them. You know, we, we uh, field dress them and, and treat the, the animal. You don't want it to spoil. You don't want to sit like you're not going to give something rotting over to these, you know, these, these programs. And so that's, that's the thing. You got to make sure you got to have a plan in place to make sure that, especially in the early season it was still a little warm out, yeah. you know, ice it down or you got a cooler or somewhere, a buddy that you could take it to and then go donate it. Cause the, the odds of it being open when you are slim and none the night, if, especially if you're afternoon hunting, mm -hmm. you know, so that, that's a great point to, to keep in mind. So once the, you identify the processors open, the process after that's pretty simple take it in and they'll get a little bit of paperwork from you drop it off some places charge some most don't on behalf of share the harvest program which is under the conservation federation of missouri we pay 75 dollars of that processing fee so give or take depending on where you're at in missouri that should cover the cost of deboning the meat some are more some are, um, aren't quite that much so anyway that's um, what we pay is share the harvest processors and we have have almost a hundred processors around the state so the chances are you should be able to find a processor pretty close what if you're an unlicensed processor who does all their processing under their deck in their backyard can you get <laughs> in on that or no i don't even know and i'm gonna huh. say no <laughs> <laughs> that's safe that's no. a yeah that's a good answer because uh that's not you, sanitary <laughs> we have to get you in our, in our program there's paperwork certainly you know to make sure everything's healthy and then cwd uh, processors, there's some additional work that the processors have to do on the back yeah. end too, and testing and so all that. I should have answered place. it with, I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> Just drop it off by the swing set. I'll get to it in the morning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so is, is this, is this accurate that sometimes that there's only so much money in that fund that maybe it, it runs out as the season goes on, if a bunch of people take advantage of it? Yeah, certainly. So each processor is allotted a certain number of deer. And so once they hit their quota, they might work with our team and, and we might be able to raise that. But we have only so many dollars to yeah. distribute across. But that's kind of worked itself out over the years because we know that John Q processor here probably going to get 60 to 80 deer. And, and so, um, you know, it, it's kind of a fluctuating number. Okay. But overall, most of the time, we're able to accommodate people. We don't want to turn anybody away from I was going to say, I've never, I've never been in that scenario where we've donated a deer early season or late season where we had to that I recall that we're where we paid for it, meaning they, they always are covered. It's always covered. It seems like, mm -hmm. which is outstanding. I mean, to, to know you're, you're helping out and doing a good deed, but yeah. that, that somebody's paying for that process. Cause obviously the processor still has to, I mean, they got a lot of work involved there to debone it and, mm -hmm. and, and do what needs to be done. And so somebody has got to pay for that. You know, and over the years too, we've had great partners too, that have helped raise money and funds and if anybody's out there that loves this program you can go to our website confedmo.org and make a donation we have people that they put up recurring payments each month and their money nice. goes right to uh, share the harvest and it comes right out of their checking account so you can go to our website and make a donation and that will go directly to helping process the deer this year now do you guys partner with any of the other states or communicate with any of the other states in these same programs i mean is there any cross-state communication in regards to how they share, share the harvest or, you know, is there somewhere where like others, um, our listeners can go to find more information out about their state's programs? Yeah. Going to their state government that, that 
manages the body of deer hunting so it, it might be the state or the parks or the different mm -hmm. websites but generally speaking you know the the names probably different share the harvest is copyrighted mm -hmm. to to cfm and in, in missouri but um you know they're, they're named if something different but there's opportunity out there like this in in several different states up in the midwest out in the west too um every state's got their own you know rules that then regs that they have to follow but yeah generally speaking there's a lot of different programs out there across the nation about how many pounds annually are donated by hunters so we're about to reach five million pounds so we Jeez. generally get about a quarter million pounds of deer meat each year and you know when you break that down to a quarter wow. pound per meal that's feeding um with over five thousand deer a year feeding you know a million missourians a million wow. meals across missouri it's incredible which is, really when you think about it it is it is and it's so humbling and we're honored to be able to do this in 30 years um and I've heard stories from in the 90s when they were trying to get this going through the red tape and they just kept pushing and they were going to these local communities and the food banks and it didn't start, you know, they just didn't snap their fingers and start this program. There sure. was meeting resistance from, from have the government. Deer? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it was actually a group of dedicated turkey hunters that, that kind of came together. And so um, back in 1992, they started and they kept going and it was local, you know, and it, one thing led to another. And who doesn't want to help feed hungry children and people in Missouri? And so it's a it's a great story. Another great thing in Missouri that we've been able to to do for over 30 years now. Wow. So when you guys, I think it was during the pandemic there, 2020, when you got uh, kind of the laws and regulations changed where you could go to the meat sticks as well. I thought that was huge when I read it back then. I remember the press release because you think about it like not everybody's going to, you know, I, I get it. If, if, if the family is in need and they need food on their table, they're, they're, you know, hey, a meal's a meal. This is great to have the ground up venison. But, you know, to be able to put the snack sticks in a kid's backpack because you guys are part of a backpack program as well right where you're helping to supply kids with snack sticks which make it so easy the amount of protein and stuff that they can get here it is this is such a great success story of people coming together and the collaboration that we have in missouri so we were starting to look at this and food banks feeding missouri is one of our huge sponsors that help share the harvest program and like We'd love to have a different way to be able to utilize the meat. It's frozen and packaged. What about the Buddy Pack program? And, and so we sat around the table with the Missouri Department of Conservation, us, people from Feeding Missouri, and said, what do we have to do to do that? And I, and I remember that meeting that day exactly because they said, well, first got to change the law because it says frozen and package so that's your general your deer meat you yeah. know that all that all makes sense and without batting an eye i said i'll change the law and without well knowing what that process is going to take and so <laughs> we that. did that and i and i said that with confidence because i knew this was going to be such a successful program but the rest of the story to get that law changed took months years effort from a ton of people and so you know a little more of a backstory too our organization works on the advocacy portion so i've testified in dozens of hearings in house and senate and we found a bill sponsor to get this law changed and so we got down with the attorneys and everybody looking at all this and the legislators and said all right we got to change one word we literally had to change and to or is all we had to do is frozen or package but it was a, a monumental effort by tons of people yeah. to get that law changed it's really amazing to get an insight as to how our laws go into effect and what it takes the amount of lobbying and and back kind of backroom deals i mean i think you know there's a negative side and, and a negative connotation towards all that and because because you hear the negative side of it. But the positive side is, hey, there are ways to make things happen. You just have to have, you just got to go through the due diligence and you got to literally dot every I and cross every T to make something like that go through. No matter how small or monumental it may seem, one word is small, but the monumental effect that it made and changed here in Missouri is monu it's just, it's incredible, frankly. So how, it was instituted in 2020, right? How has the program gone since then? Yeah, so we, we started with the getting the law changed, and we had the bill sponsors in the House and the Senate hearings. It has to go change chambers, voted on, yeah. and we got to that 
the governor signed that that bill and so that was during the pandemic and this is one of the few bills that passed during that legislative session we got that done 99 percent of the legislators all said yes yeah, i mean like, it was a who's gonna it was vote a, against that? yeah who is who's gonna vote against feeding hungry, hungry children kids? nope well you never know man <laughs> there, there are some yeah <laughs> So we got that done and then we go, all right, now what's the next step? And so we, we work with all these processors and we have targeted culling in Southeast Missouri mm -hmm. down at Stani's was the company that ended up getting working. We worked with, um, we worked with Stani's to get this, these sticks done. And so but we also had to figure out how can we take a deer from the field to get it to a processors, to mass produce these, to get them injected into the, the buddy pack program. And so that took quite a bit of work between all of us and the partners, but we made it work. And so we took that targeted culling area mm -hmm. down Southeast Missouri. The deer went less than an hour away, straight to them. They mass produced them. And we, we literally went and picked up pallets of snack sticks wow. and injected them into the feeding Missouri. They've got the feeding food banks across Missouri and the rest is history and it goes into the buddy pack programs to help the kids. So we're looking at them right now for those that are listening uh, and can't see that we're looking at the snack stick packs. So there's two that comes in a package, you know, it looks like, you know, a Slim Jim or something like that. How, how many of these you talked about pallets? What are we talking like? How many of these get cranked out in a single year? So we had about 20,000 of those the first year. Nice. And, and so which a two ounce stick, which is uh, pretty good to, to figure out. We had to, you know, figure out how many deer we got coming in and, but you can add some pork to those. And it's amazing the thing, I mean, we started from ground zero on this fellas, like even designing that package, the label, making sure they weren't too spicy, the recipe, we had to go yeah. through all those things to, to make this happen. And, and do you know what, like, I'm just curious, what kind of, health you know protein calories what what do you have do you know the health benefits from mr. this mr health over here asking about macronutrients well i'm just curious because you know that that you would think that uh underprivileged kids kids that aren't getting the right meals like something like this a little boost of protein you know in their in their diet would be a huge instead of it just being a food stamp situation where they might be getting you know not the healthiest food which is the mm -hmm. case a lot of the times. Like here is a really healthy solution. You would you would think. Yeah, I don't know the exact nutrients on it, but what we hear consistently from feeding Missouri and the food banks is any way to get that protein as much as we can do it, and, and venison's the perfect way to do that. Heck yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I in, in my previous life, my not in the nonprofit world, I worked with a lot of food pantries, and you're right, Matt. Like a lot of the foods that they get are it's peanut butter, it's bread, it's a lot of carbs, it's a lot of fat, high salt content, it's shelf-stable stuff. Like, yeah. And a snack stick is probably the best way for creating a shelf-stable protein product. Like, There's really nothing else unless you start canning meat. But like, even then, people don't always know how to prepare deer meat. And so this, and, and for a lot of kids, I know you mentioned the Buddy Pack program, a lot of kids when school is out, they don't have access to food. Like they rely, the family relies on the school feeding them. A lot of schools are doing breakfast now. And so when school is not in session over the weekends and over holidays, they just don't have food. And so a lot of these schools that are in, uh, in, in high poverty, rural and urban areas are sending kids home with backpacks of food on the for, weekend. for those time off scenarios, which That's is, it's heartbreaking to think of kids struggling with hunger it, it is. And you, you know, when you think about that, we had Kyle McClellan on a few mm -hmm. episodes back. And of course, he talked about the program that they do over in Haiti. And, and I, I had a chance to go over and see that firsthand and, and a mission trip. And it's that's another level. But you think as an American, eh, it's not really happening here, but it is. It, it is happening in a lot of areas. It's not just the urban areas. There's a lot of rural areas. And, and to think that you can't affect it. So obviously every hunter, they want to fill their freezer and, and, and ha make sure you're taking care of your family. But it's amazing how far one deer can go yeah. as far as feeding your own family. And a lot of, I think people listening to the podcast and, and kind of who follow Drury Outdoors might be of the, 
the ilk of hey i'm i'm managing a lease or a farm or i'm you know i need to kill a couple does and make sure my buck to doe ratio is still there here's a perfect opportunity it, it, you know if, if you don't have a a family member or a friend that needs the meat to to find one of these places to d- donate and really help out you mm-hmm. know in your community so um it's it's one of those things where it, it, there is a feel feel good element to it and uh, a good reason behind it certainly anytime you can help your neighbor. We all feel good about being able to do those. And when you're feeding your neighbor that isn't hungry, you talked about that because you don't realize how many people, one in six Missourians are food insecure. I mean, so it doesn't take long to look around your neighborhood to find somebody that's that's hungry and, and needing it. People are prideful. We all have our pride and, and everybody isn't willing to always say that they're hungry or they don't have enough on their table. So don't you don't have to look very far. And that's the beauty of this program. The meat from Share the Harvest stays in the local community. The conservation agent then goes to pick up the meat after it's been frozen mm-hmm. and packaged and they deliver it right to the food bank. They take it right to the local church. They take cool. it to that local food bank. So it's not leaving the county. It's not going across the state. That share the harvest meat stays right there and helping mm-hmm. those in need. That's interesting. I didn't know that side of it. That's very cool. So you literally are helping your community. Locally sourced. One of the things I like about the packaging on this is that there is a buck on it. So it's clear that this is, deer. This is deer meat. And, and I think just that exposure, like kids having deer meat and having a positive experience with it, that's huge because the game, wild game just kind of gets a bad rap in general. Uh, but for kids to have a, a great connection between deer and this can be delicious and it's filling my belly, that I think that could have kind of echoing effects down downstream. Well, I, I, I may have mentioned this in our last week's podcast, but... I know someone that had a mishap in the woods and didn't get the deer they were after. And my son said, oh, man, think of all the, you know, the he calls it overly dog. Think of all the overly dog we could have had. It's like, so once they get used to it and they kind of see, like, it's not just a a Disney Bambi out there. Like, there's, there, it, it actually is something that tastes good. It's something that I like. It's something that, you know, I enjoy when I eat it. That's a huge, that's a huge yeah. like tipping point for someone that may never hunt, but at least to understand why we do it. <laughs> you know, I was getting suited up for a hunt on Friday and, um, and my friend who's the CEO of the organization, uh, one of the properties where I hunt stopped by and was visiting with me. She had another lady with her who was, she was, uh, she lived in St. Louis. So she was an urbanite and she was African American. And she asked me, she's like, so what do you do with the deer meat once once you kill the deer? And I thought for sure she was thinking that as a hunter, I just go in and kill something and walk back out of the woods. But I was like, well, it, it comes home to my fridge and it feeds my family and my friend. She's like, oh, man, because I was going to ask for some. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I'll, hey. I'll hook you up. Yeah, I'm I, happy I, to I, help. I can do that. But it, it was really refreshing to see someone outside of a hunting experience have an appreciation for wild game because that's not always the case. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, you know, I think incorrectly. So I always thought the MDC was in charge of the share of the harvest program. I had no idea that the conservation federation was, was the, you know, the catalyst for it. Is that something you see often? I mean, certainly, you know, being in the nonprofit world, people always think we're the department of conservation or, or vice versa. And going back to the beginning, again, our organization, a group of citizens, a group of people said, there's not enough deer. There's not enough Turkey. What can we do? They banded together and which ultimately put the amendment together to form mm-hmm. the Missouri department of conservation. And so we're that great incubator of, of a lot of things of the department of conservation of share the harvest. We've got a, a Missouri stream teams that you've heard about, you know, mm-hmm. cleaning the streams, across Missouri. And so the Conservation Federation of Missouri's begin was there from the beginning to, to help start a lot of these great things. But back to your point about the partnerships, Missouri Department of Conservation is a huge partner in this, along with our donors. Uh, Shelter Insurance makes the bags. They donate the bags and they'll mm-hmm. do all the paperwork. Bass Pro Shops helps us out financially. Feeding Missouri, huge financial donor and helps us inject these sticks into the into their system and the meat and stuff. So it takes a village really to feed the village that we have here. So it's a, it's great partnerships all all around. The event that we were attending last uh, last week down in Springfield, it was at Bass Pro's, one of their, you know, nice conference centers and 
And uh, it, it's amazing to see. I, I've never been exposed. I would call that more of the political mm. kind of side of, of hunting. Yeah. And we, I've never been exposed to it. I don't think Mark and Terry really have to that extent much, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's really interesting. We got a little bit of a dose of it when we went to Jeff City to receive the resolution that they, they had in Mark and Terry's honor. And, and then got another good dose of it there at, uh, at the event in Springfield. And the governor was there governor parson and the lieutenant governor kehoe um senator roy blunt they were honoring him for his he, this is his final year in the senate and so mm-hmm. he uh he was honored and i had really no idea how instrumental he was and in, in so many things with with in regards to hunting and 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 being outdoors and our kind of you know a taking for granted a, a baby of the 80s you just kind of took for granted it was always this way. We always had, you know, the wild things and, mm-hmm. and great parks and places to go. And, you know, there are people in the political side and kind of the, you know, those backroom deals, like they're making sure that that continues on well yeah. into our future for our kids, for our grandkids. And, and that was interesting for me to, to take all that in and see. I don't know about you. You're involved in it. And obviously, you speak at those types of events and, and see it firsthand. That was a first for me. It is eye-opening, certainly, and coming to the Conservation Federation in Missouri, I didn't realize how strong and important our organization is is to the advocacy portion of it. People take for granted that we have great clean streams and places to deer hunt, but our organization is that advocate. I'm a lobbyist. I testify in hearings to support everybody that's out there that's listening to making sure that we have a great deer herd, turkey, you know, flocks, and all that stuff, because that stuff can be taken away. It can be taken away tomorrow by the politicians and the stroke of a pen. And so we're there testifying, making sure that our citizen voice is aware of everything that goes on on the, the political side. Because yeah. it's not sexy. It's not – people don't like it. you know. And so they join our organization. They send their $35 a year in. And they trust that CFM is going to be there on the front lines mm-hmm. dealing with all these politicians. And there's good ones and there are bad ones that try and tear down what we do. But there's also some good ones. And you see this success story from the snack sticks. That's another positive thing that happens. But um, just like anything, there's politics in everything that we do. And But we're honored in Missouri to be able to do that, that CFM, that's what we do is mm-hmm. keep that going. It's interesting to me, and I've... You know, we had a chance to, to uh, chat with uh, Sarah Parker Palsy, uh, Jason Sumner, some of the main people at the MDC. And, and I, I, you know, you go to social media, you go online, you just see the shit that they take. And it's really always amazing to me. You know, in general, Missouri does a pretty good job of managing our resources. And it's not, it's not, they have to have a broad stroke for the entire state and it you could go farm by farm in the same county and it not be the same same need so they got to try to match it for everybody which is not an easy thing to do and you know after i left there i had a, a friend of mine that that you know is a big hunter he's like yeah did you did you tell them they're screwing up the you know the turkey population yeah i made sure i mentioned that right it's like that. no i didn't take the opportunity to to chastise them sorry but honestly it's like it's stuff like that where they know that they're hearing it they're tuned into it organizations like yourself i'm sure tuned into it and they have to figure out how to manage the resource for an entire state and yeah. that can be tough yeah and, 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 and for people who have different different perspectives on it like yeah. there's agricultural use there's commercial yeah. there's commercial there's mining there's bird watchers there's hikers there's backpackers like cyclists there are all these different users of the natural resources and as hunters we get a little too kind of myopic and like we only think about how many deer are there how many turkey are there I, I, you know what kind of season did i have did i hear enough birds gobbling but there's a lot of different interests you have to balance on a state level and then not only at the state level, but especially as you hit the border of Missouri, you got to start interfacing with Arkansas and yeah. Illinois and Oklahoma and North Dakota. <laughs> trying to throw me there, aren't you? <laughs> I know that's not a state. You guys hit it perfectly. I mean, it's it's science-based decision-making, and it's for the greatest good of all of Missourians. And, yeah, I'd like to see one thing on my farm, and you'd like to see another and different things, but you have to look at the health and the habitat, too. And, and people that are putting work in to put habitat on the ground, you know. People want more turkeys, but then you ask them, what are you doing to 
help your habitat. And the, well, nothing. They used to be there in the 90s, so they should be yeah. there. Well, no. You have to Predator keep, control. Yeah. And, you know, the, oh, we could go on and yeah, on yeah. and on about the different things. But it's, um, you know, our Missouri Department of Conservation does a good job. And we're that watchdog. We work with them on issues. Our, our General Assembly, if we have things that come out of our resolution and process, we ask the department, hey, are you doing this? Are you doing that? And mm-hmm. so that's our citizen-based organization. Anybody out there can become a member and can join in our resource advisory committees. We have 10 different committees that look at all the rules, regs, public lands, everything um, from prairies to to bear and, and in between. We do that. We meet. We talk about these ideas and discuss them. And, and if there's, we want to see some change, that's what, how our resolution process goes. So, again, our slogan is the voice for Missouri outdoors mm-hmm. because we're all citizens. Yeah. We're all citizens here that have a, a common interest. So in regards to the turkey, you know, the one thing that, that you hear more and more here in the last couple of years is, hey, I think we need to take the, the bag limit down, back down to one bird, you know, from two to one. And is that something that you guys – from your organization get involved in and finding out or is there data behind that is it you know what's the the voice of missouri really want and then take that to the conservation department or how does that really work so the short answer to that is everybody's all over the board like i we haven't had any formal resolution to say we suggest this or have you considered that because um the science says a lot of you know can be interpreted different ways but it's uh it's tough right now because people are used to seeing more turkeys on the landscape than they are but everybody's got to do that habitat they have to do that work individually to to help out because it's um it's a tough thing that when people are disheartened back they're not seeing as many birds gobbling in the spring mm-hmm. and stuff like that so um there's not a one-size-fits-all i guess answer sure you know you also hear about the predator just in general you know um uh, you know um a bounty for predators so like mm-hmm. you know there's some states i think it might is it south dakota i it is one of the dakotas where they have a bounty program west dakota mm-hmm. Hey, y'all say that. <laughs> so, anyways, it's uh, there's a bounty program, and that's something that seems to have you know st- started succeeding a little bit out there, where the, you know the price of pelts or the price of pelts has gone down so much that people just don't go. You know, they're not you know trapping for coons as mm-hmm. much as they used to. But everybody knows that has a major effect on your turkey population. So if there was a bounty program, you know, that's something that I think your average guy, your average citizen, that voice, if we if we can play devil's advocate and try to be the voice for that citizen, you hear about those types of things, mm-hmm. you know, quite often in, in the smaller circles. And it's like, man, I wonder if, if they, you know, if there was a bounty out there, you could make a little money off of it if that would help mm-hmm. the population, which obviously you got to have money to fund that. You got to, it's a much yeah. bigger, it goes back to that political side. Uh, but it, it, those are some of the things that I think your common guy out there, they're discussing in their groups and thinking like, why the hell aren't we doing something mm-hmm. about this as a, as a larger entity? Certainly. And it's a, it's a calamity of, of different things that you have to look at. The, you talked about predator. We talked about habitat. Like there's no one thing that anybody can point to, in my opinion, and say, this is why we have less turkeys. Sure, but there's about four to six things that we can say if we were doing this if we were doing y if we were doing z and it, and it's just over time each one of those little things have added up with and so again there's not one thing that i would point to or i think anybody can but again if you're doing you taking steps to do these things that's going to help the overall picture yeah. sure cfm is a great example of people like if you're serious enough about something you'll do something because everyone can gripe but you can actually submit uh, a proposal for a resolution through CFM, like, hey, I think that like uh, a couple of years ago, I did something on <clears throat> filming on public lands, on uh, a department, uh, Missouri Department of Conservation owned uh, public grounds, and so like we, we tried, it just it didn't didn't happen at that time. But if you're serious enough about something, you can take action. That's what people can talk all day long. But if you really want to see some see the law changed, this is the first step to having that happen. Get involved. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're you're so right. And get involved with our organization. Become a member. Come to our meetings, our convention. We are the voice for Missouri Outdoors and change. And it's so many success stories that we have in Missouri that we're proud of and so many cool things that have 
came about because of the citizens came together just like they did in 1935 and said we got to do something there's less deer and turkey on the landscape they came together and so a uh, lot to be proud of here in missouri yeah awesome well speaking of north dakota that's where our real wild clip comes from this week oh yeah yeah no shit <laughs> believe it or <laughs> okay. not yes north dakota's a big big topic here <laughs> this podcast so brianna zeitz was out deer hunting she's sitting in her blind and uh, this happened to walk by. All right. Holy cow. She's in a blind. Is she, you said she's deer hunting? Yep. And trying then, to. Gee, what's that, walking at a, her that's there, a Tim? Big cow, that's a big cow moose there. Look at that. So she said that she sprayed herself down with nose jammer. And she believes that this moose was coming to sniff out the nose. It's sticking its huge snout into her blind. I've never seen that before. She said she was freaking out. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a wild animal, so you don't know if it's going to then flip the switch and, you know, yeah. just kind of attack or, or get scared and do something silly. I mean, it's probably standing like six foot tall there at its back. Yeah, she's looking at his brisket. Jeez. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, man. I've or terrifying. That, yeah. I, I, I'm, for her, I'm sure it was terrifying. I, and you wonder, you know, what, what do you do in a situation? Just sit there. And I mean, she had to wherewithal to, get, <laughs> wherewithal to get her camera out. Yeah. You know? yeah. She, I think she said she, she was so nervous that eventually she got scared. She dropped the phone uh, <laughs> before it took off. But what a crazy. And it's, it's tapping on the top of the blind. Like, hmm, <laughs> this, something smells good in here. It sounds like someone baking cookies. <laughs> That's amazing. But, uh, That's a hell of a plug for Nose Jammer, too, because right. he's right there. It's, he's not sent free. I, I sat out last night and had a buck cut my track, and I put the wax stick on my... And he stopped to sniff. Yeah, and sniffing in here. He's, he, Look she, at that. I, I'm pretty sure it's a female. Sure. And she's in there, yeah, head deep. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Good for you. You're growing up. No. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, that actually reminds me of a, a deer. We got time for a deer story? I got to well, tell I you. Well, I guess. It is right. a podcast. We got all the time we want. <laughs> Which, I was thinking about this on the way over here, as a deer that we called at my house called Tall Timmy. No no relation oh. to you at all. But like hold on, hold deer. on. Timmy! <laughs> hold on, one more. Timmy! <laughs> Tall Timmy. <laughs> so that was Proceed. the deer that my wife and I, she got into bow hunting, and we have 40 acres in central Missouri, not a lot of deer, but we had this deer that was very tall. He wasn't real wide, but, and so we called him Tall Timmy. And sure. when he Double was a T. three and a half year old, my buddy was filming me, and we were in a tree, and I shot him, and I hit him right in the in the shoulder Dang. blade. And we found the arrow, watched the footage back, and, we've, and so this deer stayed there for. I mean, he didn't go far. He was there in the summers, got lots of pictures of him. Okay. And so fast forward three years later, and I'm assuming he's a six and a half year old now. Old, gnarly, again, still wide, still narrow, but tall. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so November 3rd, 4th, one of those days that, you know, you just love being in the woods. And we had taken my daughter to so we could bow hunt. And so we didn't have the kids. Come in the driveway. There's tall Timmy headbutting my decoy in the yard 30 yards from <laughs> my house and so i pulled in the driveway tell me you filmed it no it's not on uh, film oh only God. in my mind but i can tell you well, that could be a lie. it gets it gets even cooler so i get sure into the garage and i told my wife i was like i'm gonna try and rattle him back in so i'm standing on and our house is surrounded by water on two thirds of it. So in, in the backyard, <laughs> and drawbridge. This is in the front yard, and so we pull down, and I start hitting the rattling antlers. I'm uh -huh. throwing camo on, standing at my retaining wall I mean, with my bow. Yeah, what's the camo for? If you're yeah, yeah, good point. At this time, who knows why? And the the decoy was over here in our driveway, and so I'm like standing there waiting, and I was like. I got to get a little bit higher in my yard. So I take off That's running to said. my kid's play set. Exactly. Yeah. So I get to my kid's play <laughs> set. Hillbilly. Hillbilly. <laughs> and I'm waiting for him to come back towards the decoy. And all of a sudden, I look back behind me, and I hear this. 
he is now coming between the lake and my house. And it's only 20 yards between my house and the water in the back of our yard. And he looks straight at me. And I mean straight at me because I'm getting ready to draw hair on the back of his necks up. It's on the back of my neck standing yeah. up. And <laughs> my wife is filming. And, she, and this deer is only 20 yards from the corner of our house. And so she's in the house. She steps back because she's thinking that he's going to see her in the house, in the window. She's in the bathroom. It's a, it's a trap. I draw on him. He looks straight at me. He didn't care. He was so keyed up trying to get back to the, <laughs> on the other side of the house to this decoy. And, and I draw and I let that arrow loose. And it's amazing how fast your mind can think, you know, because there was a little bit of a hump in the yard and that arrow goes. And I was like, oh, no, it's going to hit the ground. And it just clears over the ground. And then he's kind of behind the hump uh-huh. and it hit, drills him right behind his shoulder and he turns and runs up the lake and she comes out of the house she's like i got this you know pictures and stuff and she's like that was so cool and we were freaking out and like you know she goes that's timmy you know and and she (laughs) knew right immediately yeah i should (laughs) have so you do have footage so she's got some pictures and a little bit of of like shaking footage from from in the house we gotta Uh, see it you gotta send it to us i'll have to find that he runs up and long story short and I'm colorblind, and I so I can't see blood. She comes out, and so she's helping me track. And sure enough, he ran maybe a hundred yards, fell in the lake. He's out there floating, dead. Oh no! And so I'm out, <laughs> there, out there. Yeah, November. pulled him out, drug him out of the lake, and a uh, story. Timmy is in our house, and he's head down. <laughs> You know, with his shoulder mount, because oh, that's man. the way he... Yeah, there's, yeah. A deco- there's a, <laughs> a target on the other side of the wall that he put in with it. Like, that's the, the mount, yeah. that, and the decoy. It's a scenario. Yeah. Wow. That's my, that's that's my awesome story, story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I yeah. don't believe any of it. <laughs> you should. That's First what, liar around here never has a chance, huh? <laughs> you, uh, that's where you sell all your deer stands. and Just stop. Just start hunting at the house. Yeah. I guess any time, though, you know, it, it was the 1st of November, it... You just got to be in a tree yeah. those times of the totally. year. Totally. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Tall Timmy. That's unreal. I am eating the snack stick, and it is fantastic. Fantastic. How many more of these you got? Not many. The, the cool thing about those sticks They're is... They're supposed to go to starving children, Matt. I tried a week later to, <laughs> to get some of those, share with our board of directors and different people, and they're like, man, they're gone. Like, we... That's great. Those people, as soon as they get them, they put them in those packs, and the kids are, are being fed, so... Oh, now I feel bad. <laughs> I thought these were gifts. I hope you choke <laughs> just a little. No, they're, these are extras that we, that we want to share for promotional use. <laughs> these are the, use the new and, possum sticks. Yeah. <laughs> There's a picture of a possum on it. (laughs) You got got hair in there. So are you telling me that you guys are kind of out and you need to replenish for, I mean, season, obviously, you know, the long off season. So you're kind of out and now you need to replenish. Now the season's here. Exactly. And so people that donate to share the harvest, that means you'll stay in the local community. We're still working in southeast Missouri with targeted culling areas for these Mm -hmm. snack sticks and and finding ways to expand that. So we've got great partners down there where that goes to. And and Stani's has been able to produce these for us. So So do you need a partner in the north too? I mean, you know, are you trying to hit it regionally? And logistically – we have a lot of hurdles that, that I talked about earlier that we have to overcome with that. But we are always open. If you have ideas out there, get a hold of me. Let's figure out how we can. I guess some ideas. We'll this. chat off air. I know of an operation up there in North, North Missouri that already is kind of doing this as a, as a business. So maybe it, maybe it would work out. Great. Mm. And there's always uh, Chelswick Incorporated. Mm. One beer at a time. Independent <laughs> processor. His backyard's a graveyard. <laughs> it really is. Someday an archaeologist is going to be like, well, what happened here? What Indian lived here? There's <laughs> a lot of arrows in the, in the grass for some reason. Uh, well, how about we help our buddy Curtis out <clears throat> with our question of the day this week? All righty. The question of the day is proudly brought to you by DeerCast Waypoints. From lock-on stands, trail cameras, and everything in between, DeerCast Waypoints are purpose-built for the whitetail hunter. And now... You can share them with other DeerCast users. Share your DeerCast waypoints with us. Hey, Matt and Tim. Hey, Curtis. This is Curtis White from DeSoto, Missouri. Oh. Uh, big fan of the podcast. I'm a longtime listener and a uh, big fan of DeerCast. Uh, I, I appreciate Mark and Terry doing what they do and sharing that knowledge with us. It's made guys like me a better hunter. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, my question is... 
how do you guys typically clear the field around a food source, especially late in the evening, before you get down so you don't educate the deer? Uh, I had this discussion with my brother last night, and we just couldn't figure out a good way to clear the field. We had two mature bucks with us, okay. and I didn't want to educate them. Uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys think. I know what you're going to say. You. Shout at him. <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you shouting at him? That's becoming a thing. <laughs> Inside joke. So Tim put up a video, a reel on Instagram of these two bucks fighting under a stand last week or the week before or something like that. And I, I had replied, I had commented on the post. I said, Why aren't you shooting? And it came out, it auto corrected to, Why aren't you shouting? <laughs> <laughs> Stop fighting! Yeah. But what this, about hitting the grunt call? Uh, oh, and, and, and Curtis's scenario here. So we get this. That's probably one of the most frequently asked questions mm -hmm. we get, especially anymore when, you know, people are creating these destination food sources. Late season's a, a big one when you have a lot of deer yeah. on a field. <laughs> and um, it's tough because, you know, and a lot of guys do a lot of different things. I know Terry, like, they'll open – if they're saying they're in a blind – They'll open up a you know back window or something, and they'll try to owl hoot and and do that cadence over and over and try to get the deer to. They don't. They spook, but it's just like it's kind of a Natural weird spooking. They, they try, that's kind of the purpose of, of why he does it. But anymore, he's done it so often. I don't know that it affects him at all. I've heard stories of guys like shooting an arrow at the dirt, you know, to just you know a noise. They don't know what it is, and they just kind of run, you know. And and I've you know. I personally, I know we, Scott and I, there, there'll be times where we close everything up in the blind and we try to make noise inside there. It's dark. We wait till it's, you know, pitch black outside and we're just kind of not necessarily like stomping, but kind of making enough like movement inside the blind where if, if a doe or a deer is close enough, they're like, yeah, what the hell, you know, what's happening in mm -hmm. that thing. And they get a little goosey and they take off and then it doesn't take much to clear a field. So, yeah. um, you know, I, you know, you could try coyote howler, which, you know, I don't know if you want your deer to be like wigged out from a predator, yeah, predator, yeah. but that's certainly an option. You're, the key to what he said there, though, he had two big deer on the field, two shooters, I think, or you know, two mature bucks. That's when it gets a little more dicey because you sure as hell don't want to educate those deer. And it, it, and you're like, yeah, man, should I just sit here and wait? Mm -hmm. And and we have done it, especially if it's a big shooter that we're after, where we just don't do a damn thing and wait till they naturally move on and then get, you know, pack up your stuff and get the heck out of there and be ready for that moment. But it's kind of a case by case scenario. How about you guys? One of the things that I think as far as getting out of there is leaf blown trails. Like that is the, if I had like a secret to success thing, I, every one of my stands I get to with a leaf blown trail, blow it open before season starts about Halloween again, hit it again. But if you can get in and out of your, your stand silent, that's going to help that, that momentum and spooking anything that's already there and, and coming sure. out. I'll, I'll, I'll like, when it gets dark, I'll just say, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> And you got to do it loud and like in a commanding voice and they know it's game over for now. Mm. So, Does it work? No. I mean, they leave. Never come back. Yeah. <laughs> and let that be a lesson. I know Forrest and Terry sometimes pull out that we have these big LED lights for the cameras mm. for heroes and, you know, stuff in night, re night recoveries. And sometimes they'll shine it from the blind <laughs> just, just like at like a pressed up against the window yeah and they there's a strobe like it, it, i swear to you there's a strobe filth effect on it yeah and yeah. they'll hit that huh. just uh it's just they don't it's not like they know what's in the blind they yeah. just know something weird's going on up there. <laughs> that's true damn party's happening <laughs> right. the disco's party is starting guys so the, probably not yeah. any one great answer for him it's tough, yeah. And then that's where just having good access and egress is really important yeah. so you can hopefully get out of there. Like, I, like I, most of my hunts are back in the timber, so I just have to worry about, like, what's in the vicinity at the moment. I try not to use lights when I get out of there. I try just to leave without making as much noise as possible. Same. So, yeah, I mean. It's the best you can do. Even if they did the light in the blind, they're not, like, lighting their way out. Like, they, that's just, like, just a spook a doe. Sure. Or, they certainly wouldn't do that if a big shooter was on, on the field, like, 
different mentality when a deer you're after mm-hmm. or a mature buck is out there than if you got, you know, a couple two and a half, three and a half year old deer and, and, and you know, a few does or whatever. Yeah. It's just different. What's weird is when it gets dark, deer seem to care way less about you. Like I've been climbing down out of a tree in a climber, you know, making a bunch of noise and deer would just come walking by within 15 yards and can't see how, you know, if they're, you know, what kind of, what kind of buck they are, but you know, it's a buck and it's just weird that at that point they just they they know they're safe i've not had that experience as much like when we get out like say it it, we're waiting until it's pitch black and we didn't spook them off the field but they've kind of fed off Uh and they're still in a big you know big destination ag field and we get down quietly and we start walking off as soon as one gets the vibe that yeah to them it may be a predator you know or whatever they don't necessarily know because we're being quiet but Man, once one goes, they all go. But I've also seen it where they on trail camera pictures, you see they came right back out within mm. 10 minutes. Yeah. Like, they don't go far mm-hmm. a lot of times. Yeah, but you know. do want to wait till it's dark, though. Dark, dark, so they can't figure out what it is mm-hmm. you are. Yep. I had a buddy that he used to bend over and be the shape of a deer and make dog grunts, you know, bleats huh. and stuff. And so he's mimicking being a deer. <laughs> hold, on, hold on, hold on. You and your mom are hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> is your friend still with us? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a new one by me. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, all right. So the wildlife word is brought to you by DeerCast Wincheck. Select your stand and choose your access with confidence using DeerCast Wincheck. Okay. So this is a little bit of uh, deer physiology. This artery runs along the spine of a whitetail. And can be lights out if you sever it. Is it A, the spinal artery, B, the dorsal artery, C, the ventral artery, or D, the aortic artery? We let the guests go first, but I actually know this one, I think. Big mm. boy. My wife will be mad at me. She's in the medical field and so uh, and cleans out blockages in people's arteries. Oh. And so I'm going to go with D, aortic. Okay. Ding, ding. The same for me, D. And I'm a big boy. Your wife will not be mad at you. Yours will just be <laughs> same. nonplussed, as usual. That's, yeah, like another day at our house. <laughs> yeah, it's the aortic artery, and it's like a garden hose. Man, you hit, you hit it. I've seen some really poor shots hit that, get lucky and hit that yeah. artery, and they don't go 20. <laughs> I, I, I did it once. I thought I gut shot a deer. It was my first buck, and it was it was a, it was a, it was like probably a three year old eleven point. And I was just over the moon. I put the put the shot on the deer, hit it like just north of the paunch, you know, and and I and I thought, oh geez, I just screwed up. And this deer started started bulldozing into the ground after probably 10 yards and just died almost instantaneously. It, it's almost like, like a hard shot is yeah, really what it I is. Mean, you've got, I mean, it's like, you know, that like the size of a quarter almost in terms of diameter and you open that up and it's just, they're done. Yeah. It's usually a bad shot and then you got lucky and hit the right thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was like, what just happened? So that actually runs down the spine, huh? Yep. Yeah. And then it kind of branches out to the legs and the femoral. So... Yeah, DeerCast Track will show you all that stuff. Open up the physiology on a deer. All righty. We got a shout-out? <clears throat> we got a shout-out. It's an actual audio shot. How did you get this, by the way? An audio uh, version. A, a guy just, like, instead of asking a question, oh. he just wanted to tell us, good job. Hey, Scott, get those near enough. Me. I've watched you guys on that show. <laughs> it's hilarious, the topics you pick. I I just think it's the greatest thing to show the other side of hunters. Thank you. Absolutely keep it going. Love you guys. Take care. Love you too, Scott. Scott sounds like that. There's a comedian that sounds just like that. I'm going to look him up yeah. after the podcast is over. I'm he's a now. tall, skinny guy, and huh. he's been in a bunch of movies and stuff. He sounds just like that, yeah. just like that character. I can't imagine Scott telling him, like, yeah, I'm watching that show right now. Just leave me alone. So – Speaking of shout outs, I'm at dinner last night there in Arnold at uh, Twisted Tavern. It, we, the kids were with uh, grandmas, so 
Miranda and I went to dinner, and I'm sitting there, and this guy keeps staring at me and uh, staring at me. And Miranda, after the fact, she she even said it. She's like, I wonder why he kept staring at you. They were right <laughs> next to us. And they got up to leave after their dinner was over, and we were finishing up. And he stopped, and he said hello. He was a, a fan of Drury Outdoors. He He's like, do you have anything to do with this? He showed me Deer Cast. <laughs> uh, Depends. And, What's wrong with it? <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, he said he... He kept hearing me talking to Miranda, and he could recognize the voice from the podcast. Ah, nice. And he was probably in his—I'd say he's probably in his mid to late fifties, maybe. And oh. and it was it was neat to get to meet him. And yeah. we sat there and talked. It turned out he was a, a Bosler from my hometown originally. His okay. family was—he no longer lives down there and knew a lot of the same people. And Small world. Yeah, he's hunting a really nice uh, uh, track down there in the St. Genevieve area. Killed a good deer in the last couple of years. So it was fun Sweet. to get to to chat and you talk about shout out that was an actual in-person shout out well one of our listeners christopher leonard specifically requested a shout out on the show but i'm not going to give it to him Hmm. he just did (laughs) oh crap oh man all right so moving on all right so you're here tyler for the fun and games now so every we have a thing called the rack pack on facebook it's a private Facebook group that we started for our listeners of the the (laughs) podcast, just kind of a group of like-minded hunters, outdoors people that, you know, they, if they have a question, you know, people jump in and and help answer Mm -hmm. it or, you know, have some success and put their pictures up and guys, you know, and and gals come in and congratulate them. It's been really cool to see. We only started it like at the end of last year and here, you know, in a few months, it's over, you know, 1200 close to 1300 people in it. So it's, it's pretty neat. So anyways, every week we welcome new rack pack members. Tim puts a list together. I read them each week and I butcher people's names every week. And every week there's some fake name in there that I got to sniff out. So let's see how you do. All right. So we have, Oh, well, this was an easy one. We got Jack (laughs) O'Landron. We're coming into Halloween time. I'm saying he's the fake one. Jim Sharp, Chase Oltman's Caleb Megan, Sean Silver, Kyle Huenfeld, mm. Hunter Putz, Hunter Putz, Michael Hunt, and Jonathan Hayes. I'm still going with Jack O'Landron. That's right. That's the fakie. That's the fakie. You know, before we shut her down for the week, I want to say I had the opportunity yesterday. It was the last regular, as we were filming on Monday here, so this will air a few days from now. It was the last regular a home season game for the St. Louis Cardinals. And Jim Tomey came into town and brought his son and some of his son's friends. They're obviously big baseball people. (laughs) And he had um, an opportunity to sit in President Bill DeWitt's box. And um, and he had invited Dad, and Dad didn't go. He took Grandma hunting yesterday. So he picked Grandma up and took her, and he said, hey, you know, Matt Drury would love to go if you don't mind. So – Jim brought me along, and I want to say it was the coolest thing. I've been to World Series games and All-Star games and opening days. It was the single-handedly coolest thing I've ever been to. So what it was, Albert Pujols and Yadi Yadi Molina, they were retiring Mm. from the game of baseball after, you know, 19 seasons for Yadi and I think 22 for Pujols. And they had a huge ceremony, and Wayno pitched. There's a tie-in here. So Tommy, Big Hunter, and we talked the entire game about hunt, hunting, basically. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Wayno was pitching. He didn't have the best start. He's been going through a little bit of a dead arm phase. It was, but it was such a cool event, a cool thing. And uh, I just wanted to say thanks to Jim publicly because I said it privately a billion times. But sure. it was the neatest event. The moral of this story he says he's going to come onto the podcast no way. and tell us the story of that giant no deer way. Really? from last year. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Now, whether or not I can make that happen, I wouldn't put money on it, but he was, oh, he just said. What did that deer score? Two, God, I'll get it wrong. It was, was in the 230s or 220s. 220s, I think. It was stupid big, definitely over 200. And uh, so anyways, he had a, a long, rich history with that deer. He called it the Matheny Buck. And, and so anyways, I I hope that we can have him on. It'll be vi- via, you know, video podcast, sure. uh, vid- video, Zoom call. But uh, I hope soon, and maybe that'll be the 300th episode. Whoa. Uh, but it, it, it was cool to get to chat with him and hear the story behind that deer. And there was a, a lot oh, of backstory leading up to it. So okay. hopefully we'll get to share it huh. soon. And, and, uh, I mentioned Ryan Earp was with us and, and Ryan's a, a longtime jury f- 
uh, family member kind of, you know, by proxy and, and uh, used to film for us and all that stuff. Well, he gets to film Wayno and Tommy a lot of the times. Mm. And uh, I said, yeah, I think Wayno is going to come on, come into the studio and, and do the podcast. And he knows him well, like I do. And he goes, how much you want to bet? And I was like, I'm not betting on it. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we'll have these two baseball legends uh, that, uh, that are huge outdoorsmen be able to come into the podcast soon. So. That's like, pouring salt in my wound because i had tickets to yesterday's game what? to go to that uh-huh. in the green seats five rows what? behind Whoa. the on deck circle and i had committed to auctioneer i auctioneered a little bit for fundraisers and our church was having our big fundraiser and so i sold the quilts and i couldn't go to the game i had tickets to take my son and but the saving grace in all this i guess my nephew got to go in my seat okay. and he's 12 years old and so they were interviewed before the game oh, by really? a reporter and i mean they're like right there. So anyway, huge Cardinals fan. And, and so we have so many great hunters that are Cardinals yeah, too yeah, yeah. and Jim and so many people out in Major League Baseball across the nation. It's just that great connection of, of baseball and hunting yeah, go yeah. so good that, That's cool. You're a better man than I because I was supposed to be the <laughs> coach of, our, of Cameron's so flag football team yesterday. Oh. <laughs> it's a Saturday when I got the invite. I, I'm like instantly <laughs> sweating. I'm like, okay, so how am I going to navigate this? And so you did the right thing. <laughs> and you helped out charity. I should have done the right thing and been the coach of my son's flag football team. But I told him, I was like, I said something to my wife. She's like, you I gotta got ask him, you know, it's, it's his, he goes, she goes, you made the commitment to him, not me. So uh, like go disappoint your son. <laughs> you do it yourself. And I promised I would never do this stuff to him. Like it was done to me. <laughs> Here hey, I am. Hey buddy. Uh... <laughs> oh, it was a hundred percent. I'm like, Hey, so you know how <laughs> <What>? tomorrow? <laughs> hey, and that's exactly he's like what? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, here's the deal. I'm gonna be straight up <laughs> with you. I'm gonna miss that game of yours, <laughs> and I'm gonna go to this thing. What's it gonna cost me? It's oh no, he he said something like a dollar, and Miranda's like, uh, she's like, oh, you screwed up. I had asked him for a hundred, and he <laughs> wasn't even saying he wanted me to pay him a dollar. He, I don't even know what he was talking about. And he's like, wait, what? I'm like, everybody, shut up. I'm like. <laughs> Okay, let's let's back it back down. Uh, who's a little getting bit. this dollar? Nobody's <laughs> getting anything. <laughs> Everybody's so getting screwed except confusing. for me. <laughs> I'm going. Wow. I'm going to this trip of a lifetime. Can't wow. blame you. And he hit the 702nd Two, home run yeah. in his career. His last regular season at bat at Bush Stadium three and or two whatever they call it it's the latest one. His first at bat there and his last at bat there at that stadium he had a home run. I mean. It was magical. That probably made Cam feel better. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen him since. I don't know. He went with Grandma watching the game. I don't know. I will find out. No, the, the, there'll Things be another come and game. go to kids' life pretty quickly. I I did feel bad, but that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Like, dude, this is like the end of like my. From when I went to college, in two in ninety nine two thousand, like Pools came in. That, you know, that yeah, next yeah. year, like this was like the era. And if you're a baseball fan, it was like my adult, my my adulthood for the yeah. last 20 years was watching this team, and to see it close out, like a lot of special moments. And I, I mean, I teared up in the pregame ceremony. It was so cool. Yeah. And I, you would not believe how many people were down there. I got there. The game started at 1:15. They were going to have a pregame ceremony at 12:30, and I got there at 10:30, and there, I guarantee you, were 50,000 people already down there. It's history I, in the making. It was right? history. I, I, I was telling Tommy, it's like the Ted Williams speech for his last game, and then he hits a home run his last at bat. It's like DiMaggio and, you know, the New York mm-hmm. Yankees. Like, it's those kind of moments. You have two. Tommy was like, I don't think there's ever been two Hall of Famers because he's like, they're both obviously Albert's a first ballot. He's like, uh-huh. Yachty's going to be a first ballot. He's like, I don't think you've ever seen two Hall of Famers that have retired the same from the same team the same year like this. He's like, you'll never see it again. So it was it was cool. That's man. awesome. That is cool. And it's a special moment because think five years from now in Cooperstown in July when these guys are giving their acceptance speeches, in my opinion, oh, that you know, that yeah. they're gonna be doing that. It's uh I can't imagine what it, yesterday was it's like. It's funny you mentioned that because Jim, I asked Jim and I'm like he's the actual um president of Oh, it's uh, the alumni for the Hall of Fame. Oh, geez. He's the president of that. Wow. And so he's, he's very involved with the, the Hall of Fame ceremonies and banquets and all that stuff. And we got to go when he was inducted a few years ago, and it was unbelievable. And Cooperstown is unbelievable. Such oh, a, wow. For a baseball nerd, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a cool place to, to go 
once in your life. And uh, so I said something. I'm like, so what are you doing in five years? <laughs> and I'm like, let's go ahead and just put this out there right now because you got to go. As a fan. Like, that's that's going to be one hell of a celebration. That sounds cool. Maybe I can get my boy to that since we couldn't go to the game it. yesterday. That's what you got to go yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. So you cool. did the right thing, though, and I did the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I just bragged about it for the last five minutes. Sorry. Uh, I did right. the same thing. I was over the moon about it. I had to, I had to share. Well, I'm excited about getting to show off my sports ball knowledge when we have those guys yeah, yeah, yeah. the show. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, you could run the 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 board here. Right. <laughs> Baseball, huh? That's what I'll lead with. Yeah. So it was cool. Anyways, hopefully we'll work on one of those guys for the three hundred. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I got to give you guys a shout out and just tell you how much I appreciate all that you guys do to promote hunting in the outdoors. What uh, you know, we talked about that ceremony last week. Conservation in Missouri and the nation is so special to a lot of us, and and seeing your guys' set here and being a part of you and getting to know you is just truly amazing. So thank you for all that you guys do and, and keep up the good work because we're all pulling thank on you. the rope the same way and everybody's got their niche in the market and you guys have got a great one. And so a uh, huge shout out to all that you guys are doing from here in Missouri and across the nation. C- kind of you to say, we mentioned it there at, after the banquet was over, we, we spoke briefly. If there's a way that we can hopefully connect on a much larger scale going forward, we hope that we can help share the word, you know, and, and, and help in messaging because that's the reality of it. It's, it's one thing to, Mark and Terry said it in their speech. They aren't doing it for the accolades. And they, that's the last thing they thought of when they started the company in 88, 89. But now that they have the platform that they do in order to, you know, do what's necessary, we want to make sure and give, uh, you know, folks like yourself the voice to be able to reach out and, and to the masses and communicate the messaging that needs to be communicated. So we're, we, we look forward to seeing what we can come up with here in the future together and uh, continue to do the, do right by our outdoorsmen and women out there. Drew outdoors, possum sticks. <laughs> Tim's in charge of that department. <laughs> Coming in two seasons. I got to get some work done. Yeah. Okay. All right. Tyler, all right. thanks well, for joining us, buddy. Thank you guys. Appreciate all right. y'all. Have you a good, good year. This uh, safe fall. Most That's importantly. right. Exactly. All right. See you guys next time. Next time. Peace out. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind checkout to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast.